Welcome to Draft Countdown. I'm Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. And I'm Shane P. Hallam from DraftTV.com. In continuing our review shows, soon we're going to be doing a separate short show for every single team where we talk about every single one of their picks, the value, how they fit in, etc. But for this show, we're just going to kind of do a best and a worst. Uh, and, and basically what we did is Shane and I independently made our list of the top 10 best drafts and are the top five worst drafts. And then we assigned point totals to those slots. And, and we came up with kind of a, uh, a, 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 a collection here of, of the rankings, a, a, a combining of them, if you will. Uh, so we're going to do the top six best. Uh, we were going to do five, but there was another team at six that was really just off the mark. So I thought they should be included. And then we're going to do our three worst drafts as well. And and we'll take turns going first uh, with each category. And, and we assigned four categories for each of the best drafts. So you'll get it once we get into it. Uh, it sounds more convoluted than it is. Uh, so let's just get right into it, Shane. And checking in at number six uh, on our best drafts is the Atlanta Falcons. And they wound up with the combined total of seven points they came in at number uh five on my list and number 10 on your list uh and and first category shane is best pick uh and and i'll start off here and i I hate to go the easy route but it really is vic beasley the defensive end from clemson who they took in the top 10 overall uh he's just exactly what that team is looking for he's that dynamic edge presence who can finally pressure the quarterback which has been uh uh, an issue in atlanta for a number of years now so i know that's the most obvious choice but i'm going vic beasley i i just think he's exactly what they've been searching for uh and he just gives them uh, a dimension they've been lacking in recent years. Uh, so who do you think was the Falcons' best pick? I think the Beasley pick was great, but I'm going to go with the third-round pick in Tevin Coleman, the running back out of Indiana. And we, we found out our, our friend Charlie Campbell over at Walter Football broke about uh, his sickle cell trait that maybe had Coleman fall a little bit further. And if that's the case, then I think it could be a potential steal. I think he's a great compliment to Devonta Freeman, take some pressure off of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and get a dynamic threat in that backfield. Uh, I have Tevin Coleman as my number three running back in this class and to get him a pick 73, I think is a great pick on their part. Well, and that's just another classic example of why you wait on running backs. A lot of people felt Tevin Coleman was a fringe first round type of talent here. They get him in the third round. And I think this draft once again showed there were good runners available well beyond the first round, even well into the late rounds, in my opinion. So I I agree. That was a very good pick for the Falcons. And I wouldn't be surprised if he emerged as their, their lead back there. And, And that's something that's still a question mark for that team. Uh, the next category we're going to talk about with each of these uh, squads is personal favorites. So um, it, 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 I guess there's a lot of different ways to qualify this, but but just personally, which pick did you like the best? And for me, it was Justin Hardy, the wide receiver from East Carolina in round four, who I th- thought could have gone around maybe even too earlier, and I probably wouldn't have had a ton of problem with that. And you know, he's not the most physically impressive guy uh, in terms of the size and the time speed. And and he might never be a starter, but I think this is a great situation. Worst case, I think he's going to be a solid number three, number four type of option. Uh, in, in the Falcons, they needed to replace a Harry Douglas in that passing attack. And uh, I think he's going to come in and, and really do a nice job of complimenting Roddy White and Julio Jones. So I like Justin Hardy in round four a lot. I'm actually going to go with, with their final pick 
here in Akeem King, the safety out of San Jose State. They picked him at 249th overall, but uh, I kind of watched him late in the process and was really intrigued. 6'1", uh, 215, ran a 4.43 at his pro day. You can see the the speed, the downhill ability. Probably going to be a really good special teams player, and I think he has some potential to some upside at least uh, to play the safety position. So even though San Jose State not not a school where you uh, typically hear a lot of big names from, I, I think Keem King was my favorite pick and a player I think could really outperform his draft position. All right, and the next category is a day three steal. Somebody taken between rounds four through seven that that should have maybe come off the board a little earlier. And and this would probably be a good time to mention it's perfectly okay for either Shane or I to uh, to double up if if we both have a conviction on a player that we thought was a steal or that was our personal favorite. We might have the same names, and I think this might be one of those cases. Uh, and, and I went with Grady Jarrett, uh, the defensive tackle from Clemson, who they got in round five. Uh, I think most expected him to come off the board, if not late in round three, early in round four. So they definitely got him later than expected. And I, I think there's a little bit of a misconception out there, Shane, about what type of player Grady Jarrett is. Just because he's undersized, I think the assumption is that he's this Aaron Donald type of player, but he's not really that type of guy. He's he's really an undersized nose tackle. And, uh, you know, that's an area where Atlanta needed some depth along the D-line in the middle there, and, and I don't know that he's ever going to be a starter for them, but I think he's going to provide quality depth, so I, I like that pick in round five. I don't think it was uh, a, a complete travesty that he fell to round five. I know some do. Some were just shocked that he fell out of the top 100. I wasn't in that category, but I, I don't know how in round five you can make a case that that wasn't a, a, a steal. I have to completely agree with you. Uh, that's my pick, too, for this category. I, I had him rated as a top 100 player, even with the, the that size differential. He, he can eat up two gaps. He can play the run really well and, and actually has some of that lower body strength that you look for to, to get after the passer. I, I thought he was a big part of that Clemson defense and collapsing the pocket. So I think it's a it's a really good pick at 137 overall in the fifth round, and, and that that's I, that, that's a steal, in my opinion. Well, in the last category we're going to talk about with each of these teams is our nitpick. Uh, we've talked about a bunch of positive stuff. If, if there's one area where we were going to maybe criticize a team, what would it be? And for the Atlanta Falcons, for me, I, I think it was the fact that they didn't address the tight end position. Uh, and, and I was a little surprised they didn't, didn't do it last year as well. Uh, they've never really replaced Tony Gonzalez. And uh, I guess they have high hopes for Levine Toilolo, who's who's a talented young player, but I don't know that he has the upside to be what teams are looking for in that position these days. I think his upside is probably limited to a, a large extent. So I would have liked to have seen them bring in a, at least another option at that position at some point. Uh, but this is two years in a row. They've, they've essentially punted on tight ends. So uh, apparently they feel strongly about Levine Toilolo. That's the, I think that's the only assumption you can make. Uh, for me, it's it's the offensive line. I really felt like they should have drafted an offensive lineman earlier than the seventh round, and maybe in the fourth um, or the or the fifth. Just the interior line for Atlanta had a lot of struggles last year, and then they try to address it in some ways. Uh, but I still think there's some big holes at left guard, potentially at right tackle. They haven't found a guy there yet, and I don't think it's going to change. So I felt like it was one of the big issues of the team last season, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten much better this year. 
All right, let's move on to number five on our best drafts list. And uh, this team checked in with nine combined points. I actually didn't have them in my, uh, uh, they actually didn't check in in my top 10 overall, and they were number two overall on your list, Shane. So they're at number five as a byproduct completely of your lofty ranking. And, and, and I don't necessarily agree. I think they did a really good job. It's just one of those situations where I didn't necessarily feel they, they stood out above the other teams on my list, but, but they were definitely under consideration for me as well. So I'll let you uh, talk about our number five team and let you go first and kick off the category, start with best picks since uh, you were uh, much higher on them than I was. Yeah, this is the New York Jets draft. I, I I really, really liked what they did, and, and their best pick, I think, was their first-round pick in, in Leonard Williams, who was my top player in this draft. If you're the Jets and you get Leonard Williams at six overall, you have to be jumping for joy. I understand it's not a huge need for the team, per se, to take Leonard Williams or take a defensive lineman there, but this is – and in most cases, uh, I would have expected the Jets to, to – reach for a need or reach for a flashy player and they didn't do it i think that shows you how this organization maybe is changing they're going to take the best players on the board um, that fit their scheme and leonard williams is going to make for for a nasty trio with uh with sean richardson and muhammad wilkerson maybe you get some four some four down lineman looks you can use all those guys i think leonard williams is going to be a a pro bowl and all pro nfl player so i i love that and that was a big part of my ranking them at number two yeah, no question. And and we, we talked about this in the past, Shane, but so often you hear teams pay lip service to taking the best player available What when in reality what they really mean is we took the best player available at a position of need. And I understand that, but I think this is one of, a true case of where a team actually was shocked a guy was available and actually did take the best player available because – let's face it, the D-line was probably the one area where the Jets didn't need help. Uh, they, they were relatively set up front with the the names you mentioned, but Leonard Williams was just too good to pass up at number six. And and I agree. I got to go with that too as the best pick. And I had him as the best player in the entire draft. I thought he was uh, a true blue chip prospect. The only guy I gave my elite five-star grade to uh, and, and just truly a difference maker along that D-line. And it's it, I thought it was kind of ironic that the, there's one of the reasons that he dropped supposedly was because there was maybe some concerns about his health, his shoulders. Well, here the guy taking three picks ahead of him, Dante Fowler already blew out his knee. So you can't account for injuries. It's a part of the game. It's going to happen. Uh, and I, I just think there, there's going to be a number of teams, whether it be maybe the Jaguars already considering the injury to Fowler, but the Raiders at four, I think you're going to see teams regretting passing on Leonard Williams. Uh, and we'll see if he stays healthy. Maybe that was a legitimate concern, but all I know is what I saw of him. I'm not, I'm not privy to, to all the in-depth medical reports and the inside information, but I know what I saw on film the last three years. And, and this guy is a stud at a premium position. So uh, just a, a great pick for the Jets. And, and you got to applaud them for really sticking to their guns and truly taking best player available. And the next category is personal favorite. And, and my personal favorite was the third round pick, Lorenzo Malden, linebacker out of Louisville. I thought it was a big need for the Jets to come out of this with a pass rusher. They didn't address it the first two rounds, so I was a little bit worried. But I, I thought Lorenzo Malden was a potential second round selection. You're getting in the third at 82 overall. Now, Malden's maybe not the, the flashiest player, uh, has this elite speed or anything like that, but he fits the system. Good size, and he's a powerful guy. He has a high football IQ. I think he's a smart pass rusher that's good at setting the edge against the run. I think there's a lot that he can do for them, and, and that was my favorite pick 
of theirs in this draft, my personal favorite. Yeah, that was under consideration for me, too. And I, I had some of the same concerns you did about them kind of waiting on a pass rusher. We thought they might that might be their top priority here. They waited until their third pick uh, to address the position, but I think they did a pretty good job, all things considered. I think getting Lorenzo Malden where they did at number 82 was a, a really good value. And, and we talked about but leading up to the draft about how many pass rushers there were in this class, but the, how they come off the board early and often. Usually by the time you get to the third round, the value is pretty shaky. The cover is usually pretty bare. So to get him where they did, I think, was a, a really nice pick for them. And, and, and this is what Todd Bowles did in Arizona. They didn't necessarily make a huge investment on that edge pass rusher. They used those mid-round type of picks on... Sam Acho on Alex Okafor. They brought in these journeyman veterans or aging veterans, and, and they were able to cobble together a pass rush. And uh, I think that's probably the, what the, they're going to try to do there in New York. Uh, and and uh, I think Malden was a big step in the right direction. So I think that was a good pick. For me, uh, since you went with Malden, I went with Devin Smith, the wide receiver from Ohio State, who they took in round two. And this is just one of those players, Shane, that every time I watched him last year, all he did was make big plays. And obviously he averaged Average 26, 28 yards a catch or something ridiculous like that. So we know he's a vertical threat. The question is, what else does he bring to the table? Can he be a well-rounded player? And that's probably still to be determined. But even if all he is is just uh, uh, an extremely dynamic vertical threat, that's kind of what the Jets need at this point. I think you put him in the mix along with Brandon Marshall. You put him in there uh, with Eric Decker and Jeremy Curley. I think he's a, a good complement to that group that they currently have I think he brings something different to the table and, and he's going to open up that entire offense you're going to have to account for Devin Smith all this guy does is make big plays so uh, even if even if he only does one thing he does it so well I, I don't even I, I think that was a good pick for them in round two and uh, uh, in that specific situation especially so uh, my personal favorite I went with Devin Smith wide receiver from Ohio State Next is the day three steal, and I'm going to go with their fifth-round selection in Jarvis Harrison, offensive guard from Texas A&M, a, a personal favorite, I think, of both of ours. Harrison yep. is 330 pounds, very big, uh, but in that Texas A&M offense, uh, we, we saw a couple years ago with Johnny Manziel, you need to have that movement ability, and he does. He has pretty, pretty nimble feet for a guy of his size can hold his blocks very well and for a long length of time they pulled him at times I think there's a lot of potential even if he's not the most consistent player uh, I think a, a fifth round is a great chance to take on a player of his size and athletic ability so for the Jets where, where I saw offensive line as as a concern especially the interior they needed some depth there I think Jarvis Harrison provides that so so what was what was your your uh, day three steal here Scott well, it definitely would have been Jarvis Harrison. I mean, like you talked about, he was one of my prospect crushes leading up to the draft. I think he you can make a very strong argument that he's a legitimate top 100 type of talent. It just comes down to the intangibles, the consistency, but freakish blend of size and athleticism, and I think a very worthwhile risk in round five. So I love the Harrison pick too, but just in the interest of doing something different, I'm going to go with Bryce Petty, the quarterback from Baylor in round four. And, and that might surprise some because I'm not the biggest fan of really this quarterback class as a whole after Winston Mariota and and I would have had a lot of problem if somebody had taken Petty in maybe round two or even round three but round four I, I don't have a problem with it I think that's the point where you, you should take a flyer on a guy like Bryce Petty and and specifically what I like about this is the Jets gave themselves a plan B they have options now if Geno Smith doesn't work out at least they have somebody else they can try whereas 
if let's say for example the Cleveland Browns what if Josh McCown plays like Josh McCown's played for most of his career and Johnny Menzel can't turn things around who do they turn to let's say it's just a disaster a month into the season what do they do they have no other options Connor Shaw I mean uh so so that's why I like this pick for the Jets because they gave themselves options and and I've always said if I ran an NFL team regardless of my quarterback situation I would bring a signal caller in Every year, if for no other reason than just competition at the lower end of the of the depth chart and, and maybe trying to find an asset that I can flip down the line. But uh, and that's assuming I have a good franchise quarterback. If not, I think you just have to keep trying. You keep investing in them until you find one. So I like that the Jets did go that route. But what I really like about it is they didn't reach for it. They could have very well gone a quarterback in round two or three, and people probably would have applauded them for that. They kind of looked at this class, realized, hey, there's just probably not a guy that's worth taking that early. We're going to address some other needs, and 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 maybe a quarterback will fall to us, and indeed Petty did. So uh, even though I'm not the biggest Petty fan, I like them giving themselves options in round four. And finally for the nitpick, obviously I ranked this as my second draft, so, so I don't have much of a nitpick. I think they did pretty well and hit on a lot of needs and, and got some good value throughout. I, I guess for me, um, it would have been just to, to get even more than Devin Smith, get get even more kind of options for that offense, whether it be wide receiver, running back, maybe even a second tight end. Uh, I know they drafted Jason Morrow last year in the second round, but um, this offense still feels kind of plain, uh, kind of blah, and I think that's going to be kind of the downfall of this team when they have a really good defense and try to invest in some players, um, you know, like Devin Smith and, and Bryce Petty to hopefully help. Uh, I just, I don't know if they're, they drafted anyone that's going to have a huge impact this year. Yeah, I think we're thinking along the same lines there. And uh, my, my nitpick would be that they didn't bring in a running back. And I understand they signed Steven Ridley, uh, but he's coming off a major injury, has fumble issues. Chris Ivory can't stay healthy. They traded a late round pick for Zach Stacy, but Zach Stacy's not the solution. So I, I would have liked to see them at some point. I'm not saying first, second, third round even, but just at some point, bring in another option at running back. I just think it was such a, a deep crop at that position that they could have brought in some more help and, and maybe gotten an eventual starter uh, on day three. So that would be my nitpick that they didn't bring in at least one more option at running back. And and honestly, I would have rather seen them use that seventh round pick they traded for Zach Stacy to, to just bring in another young running back. Uh, I think we know what Zach Stacy is at this point. I, I would have gone for maybe the unknown as opposed to the known in that scenario. But um, like I say, that's, that's definitely a nitpick. Now, our number four team, it's kind of interesting, same point total as the Jets, nine points they wound up, but kind of the, the polar opposite situation with the Jets. I didn't have them in my top 10 at all. You had them number two with our number four team. You didn't have them in your top 10, and I had them at number two overall. So I'll start with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I was, I was a little surprised. I thought your hometown team, you'd give them a little more credit, Shane, and uh, Pittsburgh is a team that I always seem to like what they do. Uh, uh, there's just a handful of teams that always seems to draft uh, according to our tastes, I guess, if you will. And the Steelers are definitely one of those teams for me. And once again, I hate to, to the obvious, but I think their best pick was Bud Dupree, the linebacker from Kentucky in round one. Uh, I, I, I thought he could, would, and should have gone in the top 10 overall. I was shocked to see him fall as far as he did. But I think that was a, a great pick for the Steelers at 22. They, they certainly need some pass rush help. And it, it's kind of interesting, Shane, how a couple of years ago in the first round, they took Jarvis Jones, a player who super productive, 
but didn't necessarily have the prototypical physical tools you look for. This is kind of the opposite situation. Bud Dupree has all of the physical tools you could ever ask for, but wasn't maybe as dynamic or productive as you would have preferred. So it's kind of funny to see Dupree and Jones end up on the same team playing opposite of each other. But I just love that pick for them. Uh, I think if you had told me that Bud Dupree would be there for the Steelers at 22, I don't know that I would have believed you. I really don't. Uh, to me, that was maybe the biggest shock of the first round. So I think the Steelers stole Bud Dupree at 22. So I think that was their best pick. I have to agree with you. <laughs> That's definitely definitely their best pick. I couldn't believe it when it happened. And and the Steelers were close to making my top 10. I had them at 10 for a while and then dropped them out. But it's not for, for lack of this Bud Dupree pick because I think both of us felt like his talent was was in that top half of the first round. And the Steelers desperately needed a pass rusher with Jason Worlds retiring and, and being gone. Uh, they didn't have anyone opposite of Jarvis Jones and James Harrison. So uh, I think Bud Dupree has such athletic ability. Uh, you have the, the, the old linebacker coach for the Steelers and, and Jack Butler becoming the defensive coordinator. Looks like they're going to go more toward the, the back to zone blitz, back to what worked for them so much in the past. And that, Bud Dupree and his past coverage ability at his size is going to work really well for that. So if you can develop those physical talents into a pass rusher, uh, I think he's going to be dynamic and, and incredible for them. All right, next up, we're going to go with the personal favorite. And for me, I went with their the second, actually, of two six-round picks, Anthony Ciccolo, uh, outside linebacker from Miami. Uh, I, I was just beyond impressed with his performance at the East-West Shrine game. Uh, and you hear narratives a lot of times leading up to the draft about guys who were underutilized in college or reasons why they weren't the player that they should have been. But I, I think it's I think it's a legitimate excuse in the case of Chicklow. I do think he was misused, underutilized, however you want to term it, during his college career. And and I think he has a chance to be a better pro than college player once he's turned loose. And uh, I think he's a lot more athletic than people give him credit for. I guess I was mildly surprised to see him end up as pro- what's probably going to be a 3-4 outside linebacker. I kind of thought his ideal fit was going to be as a 4-3 defensive end. But uh, I like it. Uh, I don't know that he's ever going to be a starter for the Steelers, but once again, he gives them he gives them more options in terms of that pass rush. And and honestly, I would have taken Chicolo two rounds earlier. I had an early fourth round grade on him, so to get him in round six, I think was a, a terrific pick. And we talked about Shane how those pass rushers go so early and often. To see a guy like Chicolo available in round six, that that just surprised me. Well, my personal favorite was their third-round pick in Sammy Coates, the wide receiver from Auburn. I know the Steelers focused on defense, and rightfully so, um, and a lot of Steelers fans here are scratching their heads at the Sammy Coates pick, but I I had him as a first-rounder coming into the season, and he had such a bad year dealing with injuries and, and a quarterback who, who turned into a cornerback for, for the NFL draft. Um, I, I think a lot of those issues are correctable as hands, um, some of the routes that he runs, but you see the size, the speed, the red zone threat, all these things that the Steelers are lacking. And it's kind of a similar pick to to Martavis Bryant in a lot of ways. I think and I think that's great. Um, I think it's what the Steelers could use if if you have Coates and Bryant and Antonio Brown on the field at the same time with Ben Roethlisberger, it could be very dynamic. And the Steelers have been very good at developing these kind of third, uh, third and later round wide receivers, Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant. So why not add another one that has some upside and see if you can develop him? So I, I like that pick a lot, even if it wasn't the biggest need for them. 
All right. For day three steal, I went with Dorn Grant, cornerback from Ohio State. Uh, and, and honestly, I'm not sure why he was available in round four. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what what he was missing or what people didn't like. I thought he should have gone in the top 100, whether it be the second or third round. Uh, of course, the program pedigree, uh, the Buckeyes have sent uh, just a ton of great cover guys to the, the league over the past really 15, 20 years now almost. Uh, prototypical blend of size, speed, athleticism, very good player. And 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 honestly, one one of their picks I don't like, and probably we talk about this soon, but I didn't like their second round pick, but because they got Doran Grant in round four, it, 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 it kind of improved my view of, of uh, their earlier round pick as well. So uh, I, I really like Doran Grant. I, I guess I might as well talk about that right now, uh, Shane. I'm going to kind of break the the format here a little bit and go right into my nitpick since these two categories kind of have uh, something to, to do together, at least in terms of my picks. Cause in the second round, they took Senquez Golson, the cornerback from Ole Miss and no question they needed help in the secondary and they needed multiple corners. I just, I'm one of those people. I don't like taking slot receivers in the top three rounds. I don't like taking situational uh, change of pace running backs. I don't like taking nickel or dime corners. I just think you find situational players later in the draft, not with premium draft picks like number 56 overall. So I wasn't a huge fan of Senquez Golson where they took him late in round two, but then getting Doran Grant basically late in round four, I think kind of compensated to me. In my mind, I almost flipped those two picks and say, okay, they got Doran Grant, who looks like a potential starter in round two, and they got Senquez Golson, a, a nickel back in round four. I like that a lot better. So that's one of those examples, I think, of where you have to kind of let the entire draft play out because after their pick of Senquez Golson, uh, you probably would have got a, a much harsher uh, response for me on that pick, but knowing that two rounds later they are able to get Grant, uh, I have a much uh, brighter outlook on on those moves. So, so that that's both my my uh, my day three steal <laughs> as well as my nitpick. So I'll let you uh, hit on both of those as well. Well, yeah, let me let me talk about the the cornerback thing, and, and my nitpick is basically the same as Senquez Golson pick in the second, who who I like as a player. He's just five eight, and, uh, and he's under five nine. I think that's the one thing is. Um, do you take that type of player in the second round? And, and honestly, I think they panicked a little bit. Uh, we had heard before the the drafting commenced on day two that the Steelers were one of the teams talking to the Titans about the top pick in the second round. And there's been various reports, um, all denied by the Steelers, of who they were going going to trade up for. Maybe Max Williams, the tight end out of Minnesota. Maybe Jalen Collins, the corner out of LSU. Uh, maybe Eric Rowe, the corner out of Utah. But guys that I think were significantly better than Senquiz Golson. Uh, the Ravens traded two picks ahead of them to take Max Williams. So I felt like there may have been a panic there that Golson was maybe the third round target or, uh, or, or, or something like that. And they ended up taking him about a round too high. So I think that's a nitpick of maybe just a preparation issue of all the guys they wanted were gone at that point. And uh, for their board, that was too too high. But in terms of day three steal, and a guy that has already impressed that rookie camp for Pittsburgh is their seventh round pick at pick 239. They selected Gerard Holloman, the, the safety out of Louisville, uh, free safety who, who broke the NCAA record for interceptions in a season. And he goes in in, uh, in the seventh round. And I understand the, the negatives on him. I mean, we talked about him way back when he was close to breaking this record and, and that he simply doesn't tackle anyone. He's a free safety that plays the ball, uh, but that's what he's really good at. And there's some work ethic concerns and possibly motivation concerns that may have pushed him down the board. Those were the, the rumors out there. 
I'd gladly take a chance in the seventh round on a player with this type of ball skills and ability. And that's one thing that all these defensive backs the Steelers drafted. Senkless Golson, Doran Grant, Gerard Holloman have ball skills to intercept the ball and turn it into a big play the other way, something the Steelers have lacked for a long time. So I like the Gerard Holloman pick. Even if it doesn't work out and you have to cut him, I would gladly take a shot on the interception uh, record holder in the seventh round. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, I was as guilty as anybody. At one point, you, you see these incredible interception numbers. You know the value of taking the ball away from the opposition. I, I thought Holloman was going to be a top 100 pick at one point, too. But I, I think as a similar situation would happen around the league, when, when you just started to really take a close look and, and, and put Holloman under the microscope, there were just so many glaring areas where he was deficient, which is why he fell to the seventh round. But I agree with you in the seventh round. I think that's a worthwhile risk. And uh, I mean, in the seventh round, you're basically drafting depth and role players. And even if he's just a one dimensional ball hawk in that secondary, it's still a valuable player. Put him in there on, on, you know, the, the third and 17s on the plays at the end of halves and just tell him, go attack that football. So it, it's still a very, even if he only does one thing really well, that's still a very valuable trait to have. So I think in round seven, it was a very much a, a worthwhile uh, flyer on Gerard Holloman. All right. Uh, up next, the team at number three checked in with 13 combined points. They were came in at number six on my list, number three on your list. So you were a little higher on them than I was, Shane. Yes. Um, what team was it again? Sorry about that. I was wondering if you had the list in front of you. It was Jacksonville. Oh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, so, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the list in front of you, but I know I, I really like Jacksonville's draft. Uh, this was this was another one of my favorites. This, so we, we seem to be getting into kind of that top tier. And for, um, you know, for, for Jacksonville, uh, d- despite kind of the, the issue with Dante Fowler, uh, by this point, you, you've heard that he uh, tours ACL in rookie camp. But we ranked these before that, and I still thought it was a great pick. But my personal favorite uh, of theirs is the third-round selection, actually, and A.J. Can, the offensive guard from South Carolina, who isn't a flashy player. Uh, he's not someone that you look at and you see these dynamic abilities, that he's moving out in space, and he's getting to the second level, and he's super nasty. But when I look back at my notes of all the games from South Carolina, I rarely write a bad thing about A.J. Kant. And I think that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars need. They need a solid starter for that offensive line that's had injuries and had issues and continues to to have those problems. So uh, I, I think that was a really good pick, and I would expect him to compete for a starting job maybe sooner rather than later. Well, I, I like that pick as well, and that was actually my first option. That was the one I had jotted down, but uh, th- there's other options as well, so I'll go in another direction. I'll go with their their sixth-round pick, actually, Michael Bennett, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. And and I guess I understand some of the reasons he's dropped. Uh, he's not necessarily – doesn't necessarily have the prototypical size you look for, but, boy, this is a good football player, Shane. And, and I, I especially like this pick not only for the value. I, I thought he was going to go – maybe late round three, early round four. So to get him in round six was a great value. But even more so than that, I love the fit with this team. This is a versatile defensive lineman who can contribute a a number of different positions and schemes. And I just think Gus Bradley is going to know how to utilize Michael Bennett. Now, is he going to be the next Indomitian Sioux? No, Uh, he might not even be a starter, but you cannot convince me that he's not going to be able to contribute in a rotation like the Jaguars use. And you look at what 
what they've done in Seattle over the in recent years, just an incredible job of, of constantly bringing new, uh, bringing fresh bodies off the bench and and in and out of the game along that defensive line. And I think Michael Bennett gets them one big step closer to being able to do that in Jacksonville. So I, I like the value in the player, but even more importantly, I love the fit with that team specifically. And the next category is personal favorite for the Jacksonville Jaguars draft. And my personal favorite was their round five pick in Rashad Green, the wide receiver out of Florida State. Um, it, he, he's someone that, that maybe that was their correct value. You know, I, I, that's why I don't have this as the day three steal. Um, but, but I think Rashad Green was appropriate value. I, I just really like his fit with this offense uh, when you talk about Marquise Lee and Allen Robinson, who got both were drafted in the second round last year, Justin Blackman looks like he's done. The Jaguars have to find that slot receiver. And I think Rashad Green will fit it perfectly reliable, good hands and, and does everything well. I felt like this draft in general for Jacksonville was a lot of those kind of lunch pail players that are going to contribute uh, no matter what. And that's why I really like this draft. What about you, Scott? Well, for my personal favorite, I went with their fourth round pick, actually, James Sample, the safety from Louisville. And and, and this safety class, it, it wasn't great. I, I would probably call it below average. Uh, and, and I think after you got past that top tier, it dropped off. But Sample was one of the few guys beyond that maybe top 75 range that I really liked. And um, so, certainly some limitations in coverage. He's definitely more of a strong safety. Of course, his teammate Gerard Hallman was the free safety and he got most of the headlines. But I think Sample was clearly the best, the better football player when you really closely examined uh, the tape. And and I think he's kind of going to be their, their camp chancellor, if there will. He's going to be that in-the-box strong safety. And and they still had some question marks uh, in, in the secondary. So uh, I think getting James Sample in round four, I wouldn't have been shocked if he went as early as round three. So I think he was a pretty good value you and and I, I even though they've they've made efforts the past two three years to upgrade in the secondary I still think there's probably more questions than answers there so I, I love seeing them still bringing in more uh, options at that position and uh, I, I won't be at all surprised to see sample eventually emerge as that that complement to Jonathan Cyprian in that secondary for them where where Cyprian's kind of the in the Earl Thomas role and and sample is the cam Chancellor so I, I like getting sample in round four Next is the day three steal. I think we've talked about uh, a lot of these day three picks, so I'm going to echo. I'm going to echo one of one of your uh, past ones here, Scott, and talk about Michael Bennett, the sixth round pick from Ohio State, who was your personal favorite. I thought he was a downright steal at, at 180 overall. Here's a player who was extremely disruptive two years ago uh, and very productive at that. Then last year maybe didn't have those numbers, but when you watch uh, that Ohio State defense and some of the sacks that were had maybe Michael Bennett didn't get them, but a lot of times he broke down the middle of that pocket and forced the quarterback out to roll to one side, step and hesitate. I thought he was a driving force in the Ohio state defense um, behind the line of scrimmage. Even if he didn't get a tackle or get a tackle for loss or sack the quarterback, he let other people do that and was still disruptive. Um, And just have him fall because he's undersized because maybe he doesn't fit a three, four uh, and it doesn't fit some four, three defenses. And if he does fit your defense like Jacksonville, where, where they can move around these players and use these, these under undersized players, I think is outstanding. I know they put a lot in the defensive tackle position this offseason, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Michael Bennett make that roster. 
Well, for my day three steal, I actually went with somebody that you talked about, who I believe was your personal favorite. Uh, it's Rashad Green, wide receiver from Florida State in round five. Uh, and and I, I think throughout most of the process, the expectation was that he was going to be a day two pick in round two or three. So I can understand, I guess, why he slid a little bit um, just because of maybe the lack of upside, maybe doesn't profile as a starter. But in Jacksonville, I don't think they're counting on him to come in and be a starter. They certainly loaded up at the wideout position last year with with uh, Marquise Lee, Allen Robinson. They found Allen Hearns as a, a free agent. And I think Green's going to come in and compete for that number three or number four job. And and the upside might be limited, but this is a really good all-around player. Uh, a little undersized, but a very smooth athlete, good speed, runs good routes, does all the little things, very reliable, consistent. And uh, I, I just think he's going to be a, a really nice complementary weapon for that passing attack. So to get him in round five, which is probably at least a round, maybe even two rounds early or later than, than we expected him to go, I think was a, a really nice move for the Jaguars. And, and that's one thing that kind of stands out about their class as a whole is I think they did a really good job of getting good value for all of those picks. Now I'm not necessarily not in every case, like with green or Bennett where they got guys around or two later than they should have some guys, they got right where they should have, but they didn't reach for anybody. I think with every one of their eight picks, you look at and say, yep, that's about right. And then finally the nitpick and my, my nitpick is definitely nitpicky, but in the second round, they selected TJ Yeldon at 36 overall. And I like TJ Yeldon as a player. I think he's going to be, productive he's a you know fantasy guy I'm targeting but I do think it's just high for a running back for a team like Jacksonville um, and I know they kind of flopped last year investing in Toby Gearhart we saw Bernard Robinson play well and I think that showed you could you have rated waited a round or two taking a David Cobb taking a, a a Mike Davis or a Matt Jones and, and gone somewhere with someone else that could probably be as productive as TJ Yeldon uh, I think it's possible for a team that has some more needs that maybe you could have taken a better receiver or maybe you could have taken a, an offensive tackle instead of an offensive guard around earlier. Um, so that was probably my one nitpick because I think they went running back a little bit too high, even though it was a big need. Uh, I felt like they could have waited and probably gotten someone to compliment Denard Robinson elsewhere in draft. I have the exact same nitpick and, and I had Yeldon as my number seven running back, uh, but I, I don't think he was necessarily a huge reach at number 36. I think we talked about how it's just kind of what type of player you're looking for. There really wasn't a consensus amongst those second tier of runners. And if you were looking for a bigger guy, Yeldon was certainly, if not the top option, one of the top two or three options. But I, I like you, I would have waited a little while and maybe targeted a, a, a David Johnson later, a Buck Allen uh, you know, the, the, uh, David Cobb, I just think there would have been runners available, but, but then again, uh, they did get a good value in AJ can in round three. So once again, another one of those cases where you can kind of just flip flop those two picks in your mind. I actually had Yeldon going to the Jaguars in round three of my final mock drafts. And so if you just kind of consider can the second rounder and Yeldon the third rounder, it makes it a little easier, but, but yeah, I'm, I've just have never been the biggest fan of Yeldon, but certainly he's the type of player they are looking for in that backfield. Uh, it's been a problem area for a, a number of years now, so I can see why they wanted to make that investment. And uh, it's kind of similar to last year, Shane, where Bishop Sankey went higher than we thought, but it's just he's the guy that Tennessee liked. I think this is another case where Yeldon is just the guy the Jaguars had targeted. So moving on, checking in at number two now. We're in the top two, uh, checking in with 15 points. They were number one on my list, and they were number six on your list uh, for a, a combination uh, ranking of number two, and that's the Baltimore Ravens, Shane. And uh, once again, I, I think they're on my best draft 
lists every year. Uh, there's a reason Ozzie Newsom is one of, if not the best in the business, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer as a front office guy as well as a player. Uh, and I just think the Ravens killed this draft. I think they did so well. Uh, and like I said, they, they were number one for me. Uh, and and as, tar- as far as their best pick goes, I actually went with their third rounder, Carl Davis, the defensive tackle from Iowa. I, I, I just th- This is what Ozzie Newsom does. He waits for guys to fall further than they should, and then he pounces. Carl Davis could have very easily have gone late in round one. And I don't think anybody would have batted an eye here. They get him at number 90 overall. And this is a really talented guy. He's six, four and five, ace, 320 pounds, a great athlete, uh, had a terrific week at the senior bowl, uh, a little bit of an underachiever. I think you could say at times, but boy, in round three, I, I certainly think the potential rewards far away the risks. And I, I just don't know how Ozzie Newsom does it, especially with a player like this, a big, talented defensive lineman, a premium position that all teams are looking to address. I don't know how Carl Davis falls to number 90 overall. I really don't. And, and uh, you, you know, the, Ozzie Newsom over the years has really done an uh, outstanding job of not only stocking but restocking that defensive line with later round picks. Uh, I, I mean, you look at guy, Brandon Williams, I think, was a third-round pick. He, uh, obviously, he's a pass rusher, but you look at Pernell McPhee. They got him in the middle rounds. He just finds these value at premium positions way later than he should be able to, and I think he did it again with Carl Davis. I'm still really shocked that a guy that big, that talented at that position was still available late on day two. I do like the Carl Davis pick. I'm going to go with their second rounder in Max Williams, the tight end from Minnesota. This was not a strong tight end class. It was a huge need for the Baltimore Ravens with Dennis Pitta's hip issue and looking like he's he's not going to be able to come back. Um, and Crockett Gilmore was a, a overdrafted as a third-round pick last year. They needed that number one guy. And I think Max Williams is that two-way player, that a Heath Miller type that can block, uh, that has soft hands and has some athletic ability to him. The Ravens moved up a couple spots ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers and drafted him. I know it was a savvy move to get a position in need and beat out someone in your division for the top tight end in this class. I think Williams has, has proven his potential and is still very young and developing. So he sees feels like a Ravens-type player, and they got him at 55 overall. When he had gone late one, I don't think too many people would have batted an eye. So I thought that was a terrific pick by the Baltimore Ravens. All right. For my personal favorite, I'm going to go with the first of four, or excuse me, three fourth-round picks and go with Zadarius Smith, uh, who I believe will be an outside linebacker for them from Kentucky. And in th- this he kind of reminds me of Pernell McPhee, who I, I think the Ravens got kind of in that same range, fourth, fifth round, and who wound up being a steal. He just got a big free agent contract from the Bears. And I I think there's some similarities there with Zadarius Smith, just a really good football player. Now, from a, a physical tools perspective, is he a freak? No, you, you probably wish he was maybe a little faster, a little more athletic, but he's got great size. He's got a big frame and, and he gets the job done. And, and of course, this is a good situation for him. They're going to be able to bring him along slowly. But don't be surprised if two, three years from now, people look back and say, how did they get Zadarius Smith in the fourth round? Of course, he was overshadowed throughout his college career by Bud Dupree, a first rounder. But uh, Zadarius Smith, Smith is a heck of a player in his own right. And earlier when we were talking about the Steelers, I, I mentioned how great Anthony Ciccolo was at the East-West 
West Shrine game. Well, Zadarius Smith was playing on the other side of him and was wreaking every bit as much havoc, if not more. So uh, maybe I just fell in love with both of those guys uh, based on that that one all-star game performance. But uh, but I, I was a fan of Zadarius Smith before that as well. Uh, I thought he was underrated during the season, and I think to get him in round four was a really great pick. Probably proper value. That's kind of right where I expected him to go late day two, early day three. But uh, in terms of personal favorite, that's mine. I'm going to go with their their next fourth round pick in Buck Allen, the running back from USC. And, and I, I the, the running back position was a need for the Ravens. Justin Forsett had a great year last year, but he's he's going to be 30 this year. Lorenzo Taiaferro did pretty well, but I really like Buck Allen as kind of a complement to to Forsett and and these guys. Even though he's a bigger player, he can catch the football. Extremely productive for them. Maybe a little high in the fourth round. But uh, he's, he's just a personal favorite that I, I feel like he, he's going to be able to tout the rock, get that short yardage stuff, and, and be a productive player for them. So uh, the Ravens haven't had a ton of success at the running back position. Bernard Pierce was a, was a bust, and, and we know what happened with Ray Rice. So I'm um, hopeful Buck Allen can buck that trend. Well, and for my day three steal, I had Buck Allen, the running back from USC. Uh, so a, a little bit of a, a double up there for us. But uh, I, I just th- this is a classic example of why you wait on running backs, because uh, you can get a Buck Allen in round four. And and I will not be surprised if he eventually takes over as the Ravens starting running back. Like you said, Justin Forsett is coming off a, a career year, but he's coming up on 30 years old. He's been a journeyman, probably isn't the long term solution. So I think Buck Allen is going to have an opportunity to come in and compete for for at, at the very least that backup job right off the bat. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, I don't know if it's going to be this season, but maybe next or the year after if Buck Allen uh, pushes for a set for that starting job. So I, I really like it. And, and this is why I said leading up to the draft, Shane, the, the sweet spot for running back value, round three, round four, round five. And I think that's exactly how the draft played out. When you can get a, a potential starting running back like Buck Allen, who's a really impressive kid. Uh, I mean, he's he's over six feet tall. He's 221 pounds. Very productive year. Uh, I, I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, a guy like Buck Allen probably would have went a round or two earlier. So I, I just think that was a great pick in round four. And and uh, I think he's going to outperform uh, that draft slot for them. All right. And the, the uh, day three, day three steal here uh, for me is going to be their final pick in the sixth round, Darren Waller, the wide receiver out of Georgia Tech. Uh, I just, I just like the upside. I think if you're, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you're picking in the sixth round uh, to take a guy like Darren Waller, who, who is, is gigantic, has, has kind of tight end um, dimensions with, with wide receiver metrics. Then th- there's a lot to like. He ran a four four six. At the combine, he's 6'6", 238 pounds. Maybe you can play him as a slot tight end. Maybe you can play him out at wide receiver. Um, And we know those Georgia Tech wide receivers don't run a ton of routes or anything like that. But I'll, I'll always, in the 6th and 7th round, take a guy that's 6'6", 240, and runs a 4'4". Give me, give me the shot. And uh, the Ravens are a team that, that can develop players and has a good coaching staff. So I, I love that type of player on day three uh, that can just blow it up. All right, let's talk about a nitpick. Uh, This is kind of tough for me, but I guess if I was going to highlight one area, I I would have liked to have seen him maybe do more to address the secondary, specifically cornerback. Now, they did take Trey Walker from Texas Southern, a a big, long, fast player. 
player in round four, but I, I thought that was a little bit of a reach and I'm not so sure that he doesn't eventually end up as more of a free safety at the next level. And, and I know they, they've they done some stuff this offseason. They re-signed Jimmy Smith long-term and they brought in some veterans, but boy, that depth was just show, so shaky at cornerback long-term. I think they could have used maybe some more options at that position. So I would have liked to have seen him bring in a corner, but, but I understand uh, that might be an area that they can look to address next year. I don't know if that was a priority that they had to address immediately. So maybe they're just waiting one more year. I, I do think they're going to have to bring in some more reinforcements there uh, uh, eventually, probably sooner rather than later. But if I had to nitpick one area, that would probably be it for the Ravens. My, my nitpick is a pretty big one to me uh, and why they were sixth on my list and not in the top three. I'm just not a big fan of Brashad Perriman. I, I don't think the value is bad. I think it's where he would have went. They, I, I thought he, it might even go earlier than 26th in the first round. Um, he has the, the, that height, weight, speed dimension and, and has some pr- uh, production for multiple years, but um, I, just, I just don't think he's a polished product. I think he has a lot of those, those focus, uh, hand-eye coordination skills that lack, and, and I think I don't know if he's going to be any better than, you know, than, than Torrey Smith will be. And to spend a first-round pick, I want someone that's going to dominate. It's going to be a, a wide receiver one. And, you know, Torrey Smith was never that for the Ravens and was more of this, this deep threat. I wouldn't spend a first-round pick on a guy that I think was going to be a deep threat only. Maybe it'll work out. I think it's a great system for him and a great quarterback for him. And I think he could outperform what I think his talent is with Joe Flacco. Um, I think they could hook up very well. But that that's kind of a one nitpick is I think – if they would have waited at receiver and taken a couple guys a little bit later, I may have liked this draft even more. All right. We're to our number one team now on our list of best draft classes. And they checked in with a composite score of 18 points. They were number three on my list and they were number one overall on your list, Shane, the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, and you're going to start this one off. And and I, I think the Vikings for, for best pick probably had as many options as any team for my money. I kind of had trouble uh, falling on, uh, on just one, but uh, you can start us off. Who do you think was the Vikings best pick? It was, it was tough. Cause I look at, at a bunch of these picks and I feel like uh, all of them were, were kind of best picks, but I'm going to go with their, their second round pick and Eric Kendricks, a linebacker from UCLA. I thought that inside linebacker was a, a potentially big need for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think they got an athletic guy that fits Mike Zimmer's system extremely well. Um, you, you pair Eric Kendricks with Anthony Barr. I, I think that's terrifying of what, what, what Kendricks can do against the run and Barr can do it against the, the, the quarterback. And Kendricks has some athletic ability that can be molded by a, a great defensive minded coach. So I just, I think it's going to be a perfect fit. And I think we could see Kendricks rack up a ton of tackles just like he did in college and maybe even be a little bit more dynamic. Well, I actually had picked Eric Kendricks too. I just think he's exactly what they've been looking for at that position. And he could have gotten 20 picks earlier and nobody would have had a problem with it. So I think that was a really good pick, but just for the interest of talking about something different, uh, I'll mention their third round pick, Daniil Hunter, the defensive end from LSU. And and I understand the reluctance with Daniil Hunter. He, I think he's very much an underachiever and he wasn't as productive as you would expect from a guy with so much physical talent. But on paper, Daniil Hunter looks like a first-round pick, and the Vikings have had a lot of success with guys like this. Going back to to Ray Edwards, Everson Griffin, they just have a, a knack for for finding these pass rushers in the middle rounds and and maximizing their potential. And and not only does Minnesota have a knack for that, Mike Zimmer in particular has a knack for that. Look what he did in Cincinnati with Michael Johnson. Look what he did with Carlos Dunlap. So. Uh, 
I think there's a there's bust potential with Daniel Hunter, no question about that. But I also think there's a lot of boom potential with him. And I think based on the track record of this coach and this organization, I guess I would lean a little more towards boom than bust than I would if he'd gone to maybe anywhere else. And I just think in round three, once again, usually those pass rushers come off the board so fast. So to get one with as much upside as Hunter had in round three, I think it was a pretty intriguing pick for the Vikings. And uh, especially in this situation, I think it's going to give him the best chance to maximize that uh, uh, immense potential. The next one is personal favorite. And I think my personal favorite is a player that could fit Maybe three of these categories is TJ Clemmings, the offensive tackle from Pittsburgh, going in the fourth round. Uh, he was someone we, we talked about as a first-round pick, and then early second round probably is where he'll go. Then uh, they, the team's found issues with his foot that it was broken. He's out there practicing day one of, of rookie camp. He played in the senior bowl, had didn't have an issue with it. It dropped him all the way to the fourth round. Minnesota scoops him up. I think TJ Clemmings has so much upside um, that, that taking him here is, is tremendous. Matt Khalil struggled last year at left tackle. Uh, I think Clemmings, who played right tackle at Pittsburgh, you move from defensive end to right tackle, is probably better suited on the right side. But uh, you, you can move him around. And even just to have that depth of someone that can move inside when there's an injury, can play right tackle, Phil Lodeholt gets hurt. Uh, I think Clemmings is a, a downright steal that fits the system athletic, long, uh, mean, nasty, a great run run blocker. And, and I think if, if you have to fill in a hole, um, Adrian Peterson's going to love T.J. Clemmings. Uh, so foot, foot or not, getting T.J. Clemmings in the fourth round is my personal favorite. For my personal favorite, I went with a guy they chose in the fifth round, Stephon Diggs, the wide receiver from Maryland, who was a big-time recruit coming out of high school, was very favorably compared to Percy Harvin, and I think he offers that type of skill set, that type of potential. It's just durability. He cannot stay healthy, but I think in round five, I think that was a worthwhile risk, and once again, it's a great situation because of expectations. He's not coming in. They're not like he was in college, he was expected to be a savior at Maryland, whereas coming into the NFL now, they're basically saying, hey, come in, be a compete for a number three job, number four job, number five job, contribute on special teams. And that's a heck of a weapon to have as your number three, number four, number five wide out. And, and maybe with fewer reps, it'll help him stay healthier. Uh, and Minnesota, they, they don't necessarily have that that go-to number one target yet, but I think they've did a pr- done a pretty good job of reshaping that wideout core, uh, and, and I think they do have some intriguing pass catchers there now for, for Teddy Bridgewater to utilize, and I, I think if Stephon Diggs had been able to stay healthy and maximized his 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 potential in college, we're talking about maybe a top 50 overall talent, so to get him almost at 150, I, I think that was a very worthwhile risk, and I really like that fit. Day three steal. Uh, another one with a number of potential candidates. I'm going to stick on the offensive line and go with their sixth-round pick in Tyrus Thompson, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma, who just has that great athleticism, 324 pounds. He's big, but can move the Oklahoma system, requires these kind of big movers, and that's what Tyrus Thompson is. So you get T.J. Clemmings, who has more of that run background on the right side. You get Tyrus Thompson, who has more of that, that, that pass protection background on the left side. You can develop these offensive tackles, a very important position behind Matt Khalil and Phil Lodeholt and see what you can do. I like I like taking a chance on Tyrus Thompson. I, I thought I had him rated two rounds higher in the fourth round. You get him in the sixth, and, and you kind of diversify your offensive line a bit. Yeah, and, and 
this is another category where you could make an argument for a bunch of different players. And, and I think the Vikings do as good of a job as anybody when it comes to getting value for their picks year after year. They more often than not, they get guys later than expected, uh, but they, they never reach. They very rarely do you see them. Oh, I can't believe they took him two rounds earlier than usual. They either get a guy right where you're supposed to go or more often than not, a round or two later than expected. And so I went with TJ Clemmings, offensive tackle from Pittsburgh uh, for this, my choice for the day three steal, who was your personal favorite. Uh, and, and Shane, you mentioned Tyrus Thompson too, who also would very much qualified. I could have seen him coming off the board a round or two earlier as well. So I think the Vikings did a really good job of giving themselves some uh, intriguing developmental options along that offensive line where Matt Khalil struggled last season. He's entering a, a contract year or uh, nearing the end of his contract. Uh, on the other side, Phil Lodeholt uh, is coming off an injury and struggled a bit. So it's definitely an area of the team they needed to reinforce. And I think they got two very talented players in both Thompson and Clemmings. But uh, Clemmings, at one point, he was being talked about as maybe a top 10 overall pick, Shane. And and as the draft got closer, it, it kind of evened out a little bit. But I still thought he was going to go somewhere in that top 50, if not late round one, early round two. And it's just one of those classic cases of there, there were medical reports that we just weren't privy to. More often than not, when a guy tumbles like that, it's because the the, the medical issues are more serious than than we knew. But but I don't think we can knock ourselves for that, Shane, because I was re-watching the uh, NFL Network broadcast of the draft just the other day, and Mike Mayock was talking about TJ Clemens as a possibility for teams in late round one. So I don't think we need to hang our heads too low. If Mike Mayock isn't even privy to that information, I don't know how we're going to be privy to it, but uh, very talented player, tons of upside. And, and if that foot isn't a big issue, if he can stay healthy, TJ Clemmings could be starting for the Minnesota Vikings along that offensive line, maybe as early as 2016. So I just thought he was a steal. Uh, I thought he could have very easily gone in the first round based on talent, but but certainly no worse than top 50. So to get him at 110 overall, I think was not only the steal of the Vikings draft, maybe the steal of the entire draft if he if that foot injury does turn out not to be an issue. And for the nitpick, uh, this is our top draft. I, in my top draft, I don't really have one. Maybe in the late round, seventh round, they could have drafted a running back and tried to develop someone in case um, Adrian Peterson starts breaking down here or, or that situation gets ugly. They did take Jarek McKinnon last year who played well, but I think you could have a compliment to him down the line. Honestly, I thought they hit a lot of positions in need, wide receiver, offensive line, um, the deep defensive line, inside linebacker, corner. I, I really love this draft, and that's why it's my favorite draft. So I don't have much of a nitpick here, Scott. I guess my big nitpick would be something they didn't do as well, and it would be they didn't really address the safety position, which has been a problem area alongside Harrison Smith. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that Robert Blanton isn't the solution. Uh, now, they did bring in Taylor Mays as a free agent who Zimmer is familiar with from his days in Cincy, but boy, I, I think it's it's kind of a leap of faith to expect him to solve those problems. Maybe they're higher on Anton Exum, who they uh, brought in in the draft a year ago uh, than we realized, so I guess we'll have to see how it plays out but I guess I guess they didn't feel it was as big much of a need and a priority as I did so if I were going to criticize one thing it would be that they didn't bring in another option at safety at some point but uh so that was our, our top top six drafts and I'll just recap here uh checking at number one with 18 points the Minnesota Vikings they were number three on my list number one on yours uh, number two, Baltimore Ravens with 15 points. Uh, they checked in at number one on my list, number six on Shane's. Number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars, 13 composite points, six on my list, three on Shane's. 
The Pittsburgh Steelers at number four with nine points. They were number two on my list, and they weren't on yours at all. Uh, number five, the New York Jets with nine points. Uh, and this the flip-flop, uh, they, were, they weren't on my top ten at all, and they were number two on your list. And then at number six with seven combined points were the Atlanta Falcons. They were fifth on my list and tenth on yours. So so there was our composite. Shane, was there anybody from your top ten list that, that you just want to mention briefly that maybe, oh, I don't know how they didn't make it? Because th- th- that's the way we did. We did, we did the, the composite, so some teams were left out. And I was kind of shocked by how different – our lists were really, I thought they'd be a little bit more similar. And I guess the highest rated team on, on my list that didn't make the cut was the Cincinnati Bengals. I had them at number four on my list. And that's another team similar to what the Vikings have done in recent years, where they just seem to do a really good job of getting value for their picks. And I think the Bengals did that once again uh, and, and bolstered what's already one of the more impressive collections of, of young talent, top to bottom in terms of not only the starters, but the depth in the league. So I think the, the Bengals did a really nice job. So I guess they're the one team that we didn't talk about that I would want to mention as having uh, shined, in my opinion. Is there somebody that, that we didn't talk about from your list that you'd want to mention? Uh, my, my number four didn't make it was the Houston Texans. I just really love their their top three picks. Uh, about boom, 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 getting Jalen Strong in the third. Uh, I thought they really hit on three potential late first-round guys in the first with their first three picks. To me, that, that that's a great draft if you can get three starters out of your first three picks, and I think the Texans did it. So they were a team that, that I, I really liked that didn't make the cut. All right, let's talk about the worst drafts now. We're only going to talk about the top three worst drafts. We don't want to focus on the negative too much. We're uh, uh, we're always sunny here on, on this show for the most part. But uh, we'll do reverse order, Shane. And, and coming in at number three on our worst classes list was the Seattle Seahawks with a, a composite total of four points. Uh, they were my third worst draft, and they were fifth on your list. Uh, and, and my biggest issue was their first choice uh, was Frank Clark they, for the defensive end for Michigan, who they took in round two. Um, and, and it's nothing with his talent. I think if all things being equal, if he were clean off the field, I think he probably would have gone somewhere on that second day. But he's not clean off the field, Shane. And uh, as as the Seattle Seahawks, they knew about the situation, but I think they probably underestimated the backlash they would face by taking Frank Clark. Not only did he not fall in the draft, he basically went as high as he would have gone if he hadn't been accused of knocking out his girlfriend in a hotel room. And, and for those who read the reports about what happened, if that's true, boy, I'm, if if there's any kernel of truth to that incident, I'm surprised Frank Clark went, got selected at all, let alone in the second round. Uh, That, that just blew my mind, Uh, especially in this climate where there's so much focus on character issues. But I think this draft showed us that teams don't really care. They'll still take Frank Clark at 63. They'll still take Doriel Green Beckham in the top 50. By and large, the guys with the character concerns didn't fall all that much. Uh, so uh, I, I, that was one of the storylines I was interested to see with this draft is how much would character concerns play a role? And I think we got our answer. Not all that much. And it, But the, the, beyond that, I, I wonder what's going to happen with this Frank Clark situation Shane they're taking so much heat and if any team can take the heat it's the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll I mean Pete Carroll's been basically throwing his middle finger up to the world for 15 20 years now both in the NFL and college I don't think he's too concerned about outside perspective but but they're taking a lot of heat uh do you, do you think it's at least a conversation they might have to have at some point about denou- uh, renouncing his rights 
because they're taking uh, so much heat for it. We saw it. It's, it's, there's precedent for it. The New England Patriots had to do that about 20 years ago with a player they drafted relatively early. I, I, I don't. I guess I don't think it's going to happen just because of this organization. I think they kind of thrive on on going against the grain and 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 and, and kind of taking everybody's hate. But but boy, I think it's a situation where most organizations would they they probably wouldn't have made that move, but. I think a lot of teams would consider renouncing those rights. And, and if, if more details coming out, come out, boy, I, I, I'm just shocked he went as early as he did. I am too. And I do think it's the worst pick. I know Seattle training for Jimmy Graham, you don't include that in the draft. And that was, was probably would not put them in the bottom three, but this, yeah, right. this Frank Clark situation is, um, you know, it could, could potentially be the black eye on this draft that Seattle's convinced that he, he didn't do it. A lot of the, News reports that they really didn't do much due diligence um, in terms of looking into this situation, even if it even if it was dismissed or whatever, um, that it's still possible that he did do it. I don't know. I don't know how. If you're the Seahawks, you can. If anything happens, if he does anything again, um, you're going to look really bad. And I don't think they're going to denounce the rights if they believe he didn't do it. Like if, if they if they firmly believe that. If they didn't, I don't think they would have drafted him that high. And honestly, Frank Clark is, is talented. Um, I, I still think the top the top two rounds is too high for him, even just talent wise. I thought he was a little bit overdrafted. I think late third, talent wise, and then with with the character issues, I, I would knock him down in the third day. I I didn't think he would go this high. So I'm with you on. I think that was their worst pick. Well, I think we're going to see a common theme with all three of these teams that we're going to talk about for the worst classes is they've got quarterbacks. They're already good teams, so they can overcome making some bad picks. And I think Seattle's done that in recent years. I think they've done a lot of unorthodox things on draft day, going back to James Carpenter, Bruce Irvin, uh, and, and even beyond the first round. There's countless examples of where they've taken guys a lot earlier than they should, but when you're when you're already a Super Bowl caliber team and you have Russell Wilson as your quarterback, you can get away with it. So uh, I I don't think that any of these teams we're going to talk about is having bad classes. It's necessarily going to ruin their organization or anything. I think they're going to be able to overcome it. Uh, checking in at number two with a composite uh, total point total of five, and and actually Shane, they're on this list completely because of you. Uh, they didn't make my top five worst drafts, but they were number one on your list, which was enough to to put them at number two overall in our pecking order. And that was the Denver Broncos. So I'll, uh, I'll let you. St- oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got to backtrack a little bit. We forgot to talk about the silver lining pick with Seattle oh, Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, once again, we want to have a little uh, uh, bright side to, to each negative com- comment. So uh, we didn't like the Frank Clark pick, but one pick of the CLC Hawks I did like was Ty Smith, the cornerback from Towson in the fifth round. Now, maybe a little early, but I did have him in my draftable range. And this is the type of player the Seahawks have had so much success with, a, a big physical cover guy. So uh, don't be surprised if Ty Smith turns into that next Byron Maxwell. I, I believe they got Byron Maxwell in the sixth round or so right about that same range. So th- that's obviously a best case scenario with Ty Smith, but I-, I will not be at all surprised if he ends up outperforming that draft slot, because let's face it, just about every corner they brought in in recent years has outperformed w- the resources they expended to land him. So, so the silver lining for the Seahawks draft, which I wasn't a fan of for me, uh, was Ty Smith, cornerback from Towson. This Seahawks draft is just unimpressive, but uh, my silver lining is the third-round pick in Tyler Lockett, the wide receiver from Kansas State. Even though I think Seattle probably should have went for someone that has a little more of a starter upside, uh, Tyler Lockett's 
similar to a lot of the wide receivers on their team. I still think he's a phenomenal player, and if you start to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands a little bit more, I think Tyler Lockett can be a very reliable receiver, uh, very productive at Kansas State, good out of the slot, uh, good hands, pretty solid route runner. I just think he fits the system really well, and they're going to find ways to get him open and get him on the field. I think Tyler Lockett could could be a player that sticks around like Doug Baldwin has for them uh, for quite some time. All right, now back to number two on our worst classes list. I mentioned it was the Denver Broncos with five composite points. Uh, they weren't in my top five list, but they were number one on Shane. So, uh, Shane, I'll let you kick it off. What was the pick that really got your, drew your ire that led to you putting them as your number one worst draft? It's it's the first round pick. It's trading up to take Shane Ray. Um, I don't I don't really like Shane Ray as a player. I know a lot of people had him extremely high, one of the best pass rushers in this draft. I thought he was very overblown. Then he he gets arrested uh, the the week of of the draft essentially. Um, he he has injury issues with turf toe. There's so many problems here. I thought he's falling out of the first round. And to be a team like Denver and trade up to draft him. I thought was really short-sighted, and I, I think they wanted to pass rusher and kind of panicked when Ray's the only one left, and that's what they ended up doing. Uh, that That's the pick that, that, that does draw my ire. I, I just think you gave up um, too much to move up a little bit um, and take a player that has now off-field issues, has injury issues, and as productive as he was, uh, I, I don't think he's as talented as given. And I don't know how he's going to fit into this team and into this, this system. When when you're Denver and you have Vaughn Miller as, as kind of that stand-up linebacker that's rushing the passer, uh, I don't know how you're going to use uh, Shane Ray if you're going to put him um, uh, you know, on the right side where, where DeMarcus Ware is. I don't like Shane Ray standing up, um, and it seems like that's what they're going to do with him. I just, I just think it's going to be a bad fit overall, and I think it's going to really sink this draft. Yeah, I had the exact same uh, reason for not liking what the Broncos did. Uh, and, and basically, the very similar reasons to you, Shane. I didn't like either the player or the fit for the Broncos. And uh, you mentioned all the issues from the character to the health. But I, I guess one of my biggest problems with this pick is just I question whether he can play outside linebacker. I just did not think he was that impressive on his feet, playing in space, either on tape or uh, based on the workout results. Now, Wade Phillips, their new defensive coordinator, obviously he's uh, one of the best in the business, so I'll defer to him. If he thinks he can do it, I guess he can. But even if he can, I still think it was a bit of a luxury pick. When they traded up, I thought for certain it was going to be for an offensive tackle like DJ Humphreys uh, from Florida. I was surprised they went that direction. And one saving grace, I guess I would say, is that it's a good situation for him where he's going to get to kind of get worked in in a situational role because they have Von Miller, they have DeMarcus Ware. They can kind of bring him along slowly, put him in situations where it's conducive to him uh, succeeding and, and it's not like he's going to step in day one and be expected to be their their top pass rusher. So I think that's their saving grace to uh, to a certain degree. But I just think if you're the Denver Broncos, and I understand they, they use their second round pick on Ty Sambreo, who could play tackle or guard. But I just would have wanted to shore up that offensive line. I just think when, when you have so much riding on Peyton Manning, not only the current season, but really uh, – when Peyton Manning's gone, the Broncos might be entering a long-term rebuilding mode. I just think you want to do everything you can to protect him. So I just think not only did I not like the fit or the player for the Broncos with Shane Ray, but I just think it was a little indulgent. Uh, I just don't think that was their most pressing concern. 
Uh, now, on the bright side, uh, one pick of theirs I did like was Jeff Hireman, the tight end from Ohio State in round three, who unfortunately, in hindsight now, hurt his knee at minicamp, is going to miss his rookie season. But I like that pick. Uh, he was the tight end beyond that top three, uh, well, depending on how you view Devin Funches, but beyond Max Williams and Clive Walford. Hireman was the guy I liked. Uh, I thought he was a little underutilized in college. I thought he was going to be more of a, a pass-catching threat at the next level uh, than he was at col- in college, especially as a senior. And, you know, the Broncos really didn't have a replacement for Julius Thomas at that position. They had a bunch of options in Virgil Green, Owen Daniels, uh, James Casey, Joe Don Duncan, but but nobody that I think you would say, okay, he's definitely the solution. So I think Hireman would have had a really good opportunity to come in and, and compete for that starting job at some point as a rookie. And we certainly know how Peyton Manning use, likes to utilize that position. So it's a real shame that he got hurt. And uh, I guess it, it might they might they're gonna have to wait a little bit uh, for a return on that investment. But I could see him competing for their starting t- tight end job uh, maybe in 2016 if they don't bring in some more reinforcements there. So even though he got hurt, I really did like the pick of Jeff Hireman in round three. The ACL injury just sucks for him and, and, and for the Broncos. A pick that I like, the silver lining, is the, their fifth-round selection, Lorenzo Doss, the corner out of Tulane, was one of my personal favorites, a really good playmaker who has a ton of technique and footwork issues. I think he's in a good situation where he doesn't have to obviously play right away being a fifth-round pick. If you can teach him some of the fundamentals, I think he has excellent ball skills, chances to take uh, interceptions back to the house. Uh, so he, he's a player that I like a lot in the fifth round for this secondary that, that I thought was maybe the, maybe the one pick of their third day that I, that I really liked. All right, and we're to our number one worst draft class. And this was kind of a consensus choice, Shane. They were number one by a pretty significant margin with nine composite points, almost twice as many points as the number two team. They were number one on my worst draft list, number two on your list, and it's the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and and uh, there's not a lot I did like about their class, but the one that's, of course, that stands out the most is their first pick, Philip Dorsett, the wide receiver from Miami, who they took at 29 overall. And uh, I talked about this in the past, but I'll just kind of recap all the reasons I didn't like it. First of all, I think he was an overrated player. I had him as a third round pick on my board. I understood he was going to go earlier than that, but I didn't think it would be to the Jet, uh, to the Colts. And that's the other aspect of this. I didn't like not only the player, but just a, a real, very much a luxury pick for the Colts. Uh, one of the last places they needed help right now was wide receiver, uh, especially wide receiver like Dorsett, who people are comparing to T.Y. Hilton. Well, you already have T.Y. Hilton, who you got in the third round. Why are you bringing in a backup T.Y. Hilton in the first round? Uh, just just extremely indulgent in my mind. And uh, I, I mean, w- with Andrew Luck as your quarterback, that's pretty much a fail-proof job. I mean, you'd have to really screw up to, to, to not – be competitive team with Andrew Luck. So, so that's going to be that their saving grace. It's going to be really tough to get fired, but the, the Colts brain trust, I think they're doing everything in their power to head in that direction with picks like Philip Dorsett. Uh, I, I just think there are much more pressing areas of concern for them. And, um, and I understand this, this is probably one of those cases where a team could say, well, we took the best player available and, and we applauded the New York Jets for doing that with, with Leonard Williams. But in this instance, I don't applaud it. This is a contender built to win now. I think you want to plug holes. And I think that's their game plan based on what they've done this offseason, bringing in Andre Johnson and Frank Gore and Trent Cole. They're not rebuilding long term. They're not stocking their roster. They're plugging holes to make a Super Bowl run in the next year or two. And I just don't know how Philip Dorsett moves them closer to that goal, at least not as close as 
basically any other position would have. I, I, I just think uh, it, it was indulgent. So I, I hate that pick for the Colts. Uh, Shane, this, this might be similar for me to, to when the Seahawks took Bruce Irvin uh, in the top half of the first round a few years <laughs> wow. ago that absolutely made your head explode. Uh, this is one of my least favorite first-round picks in, in, in recent years. I, I just hate this choice for the Colts. I think your point about the situation of the team is is really relevant because th- this is a team that's going for a Super Bowl and taking the best player available when you're a Super Bowl contender um, is is not always the best move. And if you're the Colts, you don't want to spin your wheels. If they pick Philip Dorsett because he was the best player on their board, uh, because T.Y. Hilton is going to be a free agent soon, they don't want to pay him a ton of money, that you're not getting better. You know, Philip Dorsett does not make this team better this year. So that's the issue. Take a player that's going to make your team better. It could have been on the offensive line. It could have been a pass rusher. It could have been in the secondary. Even even guys that are going to be nickel or dime uh, defensive players, those players make your team better. I don't know what you're going to do with all these players. Uh, you have T.Y. Hilton. You have Andre Johnson. You have Dante Moncrief. You have two tight ends that can catch in Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener. Now you added Frank Gore and Philip Dorsett. There's just not enough balls to go around to all these players um and Andrew Luck could probably have done with what Russell Wilson has at, at, at the, the the weapons he probably could just have um these these kind of average to slightly above average wide receivers and been fine if that defense was great they may have already had a Super Bowl so why keep making this this offense and these offensive weapons better it's it's, it's just baffling the direction that you take this team even if you think Philip Dorsett's a rare talent um pick someone else like uh, you know you, you just don't need that and it's not going to win you more games and that's the goal of the draft well and, and i guess i could see from the perspective of well we're not going to resign ty hilton so we want to get his replacement but you found ty hilton in the third round that's where you get players like that they could have gotten tyler lockett in the second round they could have got ty montgomery in the third round you don't need to invest a first round pick in a player like that and and that's probably the only way in my opinion that you can justify that pick is that well we're going to replace place ty hilton with him but even so so your first round pick are you essentially redshirting them as a rookie i mean he's going to play but wh- where do you think Philip Dorsett is on the pecking order, the Colts pass catching targets just at wide receiver. We'll take Frank Gore out of the equation. We'll take two good tight ends and Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener out of the equation just amongst the wide receivers. I mean, you can make a point. He's behind Andre Johnson, T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief. He might be at best their third receiver, maybe their fourth or fifth wide receiver as a rookie for a team that's trying to compete for a championship. Why are you taking a fourth or fifth wide receiver in the first round uh, it just boggles my mind so uh i didn't like it so uh, n- now this is one shane i probably had a, a i had a kind of a tough time finding a silver lining with this class uh i really did there wasn't much i did like about this draft class for the colts but i guess if i was going to pick one thing it would be clayton gathers the safety from central florida in round four uh Unlike taking a wide receiver in round one, that actually addressed a need. I would have much rather seen the Colts take maybe a, a Demarius Randall, uh, take a, a, a Landon Collins, bring in a safety to shore up that secondary, but it's just not a position they seem to prioritize. But they did finally address it round four with Gathers, a guy who's got a, a, a terrific pedigree in terms of the bloodlines, a number of relatives who played in the NFL. So he has those intangibles. He's a team leader. He knows what it takes to be successful in the NFL. Uh, more of an in-the-box guy. He's going to be a liability in coverage, but I think he could 
emerge as maybe their long-term solution at strong safety because I think it's pretty clear that that's how they plan to address the safety position. They've been kind of uh, downplaying and ignoring it for a couple of years now, so they obviously don't prioritize it. So I think they're hoping to find a steal later on, and maybe Gathers is going to be that guy for them. So that was uh, what I went with the silver lining on this Colts draft class that uh, neither of us really cared for all that much. How about you? My silver linings, I thought they handled the running back position in this draft as well as anyone of waiting to the late rounds, grabbing a player. Frank Gore is is older. We'll see if the wheels have fallen off. I think Boom Heron uh, did decently last year. But getting Josh Robinson, the running back out of Mississippi State in the sixth round, I thought was a really good pick on their part, uh, where he's a player who's not super spectacular. I don't think they need a running back that's spectacular. Um, but but he, the 215 pounds, he's a little bit of a bowling ball, kind of like Vic Ballard, who's suffered a ton of injuries and, and just hasn't worked out, um, was supposed to be for them. I think Josh Robinson was a, a nice use of a late round pick on a running back that could be as productive uh, if Frank Gore gets hurt or breaks down as anyone you could have gotten in the third round. So I, I like how they address that position late in the draft. And that's kind of how we've preached it on here. Yeah, I, I like that pick as well. That was my runner up for my silver lining too. I like Josh Robinson and he's short. He's only 5'8", but he's not small by any stretch of the imagination. He's like 217 pounds, didn't run particularly well, but I think he plays faster and he's just a bowling ball. He really is. He He's almost built like a Maurice Jones Drew type of player. And and like you said, Frank Gore uh, is, is just a stopgap solution. And, and I don't know that they have anybody, an heir apparent on the roster. So I think Josh Gordon was a worthwhile uh, prospect to bring in late to let him compete for that uh, for a job. And, and who knows, maybe down the line, he could develop into a starter for them. So uh, I, I like that choice for them as well. So uh, just to recap, uh, the, the teams that checked in with our three worst drafts, number one, the Indianapolis Colts with nine combined points. They were number one on my list, two on yours. Number two, the Denver Broncos. <clears throat> Excuse me, I sneezed there. Uh, the, number two, the Denver Broncos with five composite points. Uh, they were they didn't make my top five, but they were number one on your list. And then finally, the Seattle Seahawks at number three with four composite points. They were number three on my list, five on your list, Shane. And like we did with our favorite drafts, is there one that maybe stands out that didn't make the list that kind of jumps out to you that you didn't like? Is there somebody uh, – because uh, for me, the, the one – the highest – the highest team on my worst list that we didn't talk about was the New England Patriots. I actually had them at number two uh, on my worst draft list. And this is another case where Bill Belichick's made a lot of questionable decisions in the draft over the years. Uh, it, it, once again, they reach for a mid-round talent uh, in the second round with Jordan Richards, the safety from Stanford. That's that's Belichick's MO on draft day. It's, it's not an NFL draft unless Bill Belichick takes a defensive back at least three, four rounds too early. And, there's some things I like about the Patriots draft and their top pick Malcolm Brown, I think was one of the best picks of the entire first round to get him at 32, I think was a steal for the, but after that, I think it fell off and there were some bright spots, but, but more dark spots than bright spots throughout for the most part, but, but they can get away with that. When you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, you can throw away second round picks and third round picks and, and, and get away with it. But uh, the Patriots, I think, over the years, the Patriots have probably wasted as many draft picks as any team that I can remember. I remember one year they had like nine picks and half of them didn't even make it out of training camp. They just throw them away. They use fifth round picks on long snappers who have military commitments. It's just uh, th there's really no rhyme or reason to a lot of the things they do. But once again, the lesson is if you have a franchise quarterback, you can get away with it. And and the Patriots have certainly done that. But I wasn't a big fan of what they did. Anybody that we didn't talk about that kind of jumps out for you? 
Not not too much. I think we talked about most of mine. Um, I think the Patriots, the Malcolm Brown pick, uh, that's what saved it for for me and why they didn't make my list. Um, but I, the Cleveland Browns was one, you know, with two first round picks. I I have high expectations and I, I liked some of the players that they took, I, but I still feel like they're just spinning their wheels. I don't see a lot of players that make them better uh, taking a, the Duke Johnson in the third round, fine pick, fine value, but you, you didn't, you have two running backs you, you did there. Um, and so uh, for, for Cleveland to two news, news tackles in this draft, uh, I just felt like positionally that was a, that was a draft for the players were good, but it's, um, I think it's going to be the Browns spinning their wheels again. Yeah, well, what I think the Browns are doing is they're stocking the shelves for the next front office and coaching staff. I think there's going to be a really nice <laughs> base for that next front office and coaching staff. I'm sure they're going to love to have Danny Shelton and Cameron Irving. But I, after the draft, Shane, one of the best quotes I see, I've seen is the Browns said they didn't want to overemphasize the quarterback position. I, I mean, if that doesn't say it all, what does? It's impossible to overemphasize quarterback position that's like saying you overemphasize wheels on a car it's pretty important it's it's one of the only things you should be worried about it's impossible to overemphasize it and and the Browns are going to be bad again this year with Josh McCown and Johnny Manziel and I wouldn't be surprised if they cleaned house a year from now and 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 I, I think this draft is going to be a nice class for who takes over next I really do I don't think it's going to benefit this current regime too terribly much uh, I, I think uh, like you said they're kind of spinning their wheels and it's just a matter of time until they have to clean house again but boy if they end up with another top draft pick and they can find a quarterback then all of a sudden Danny Shelton Cameron Irving you got two studs along in the trenches uh, I think there's a lot to like about this class but it's hard to appreciate anything about a draft when your quarter starting quarterback as of right now is Josh McCown that's just a recipe for failure setting yourself up for disaster however you want to whatever cliche you want to use the, the Browns unfortunately are once again setting themselves up to have a, a very early pick in next year's draft so maybe they'll end up with the top quarterback a year from now but uh yeah I, I can see where you're coming from uh I, I don't know how much this draft class despite having five picks in the top 96 I don't know how much it moves the needle towards getting them where they want to be the only thing that was going to do that is fixing the quarterback position which they neglected all throughout they didn't even give themselves another option in case Johnny Manziel goes back in rehab in case Josh McCown ends up playing like a 36 year old journeyman they don't have other options. So I, I can definitely see why you wouldn't like what Cleveland did. But um, like I said, I do think it'll look better for the next regime. I think they'll, they'll like what the Browns did this year, but uh, I don't think it's going to help out the current guys too terribly much. So uh, that is going to be it. Uh, like I say, just kind of a recap of what we liked and what we didn't like. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to be doing individual shows. Uh, what was it, about 30 minutes per show last year, Shane, where we had one for every single team. We talked about each and every one of their picks, the value, type of player there, they are, how it's gonna how they're gonna fit in with their new organization. So keep an eye out for those here early this summer. Uh, but with that, we're gonna call it a show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And right now there are 347 days, three hours, 33 minutes, and eleven seconds left until the 2016 NFL draft. Tick tock. <laughs>